Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at... 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Good evening on this beautiful Sunday evening. Here we are, the last part of May, getting ready to go into uh, Memorial Day holiday tomorrow. We just want to welcome you to the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. And what I feel is one of the most informative programs that I know of, Breaking the Silence. And uh, just great to have you with us this evening. Tonight's guest is going to be, I promise you, one of those. You better duct tape your socks on because it's going to blow your socks completely off. Just as awesome as the sunrise is going in behind me. And uh, it's just going to be an absolutely perfect, perfect program tonight. I just finished your book and um, still trying to catch my breath. It is really, really good. And we're going to let you know that you're going to want to write this name down. You're going to write, want to write the uh, title of the book down. And you're going to want to start reading it tonight. And it's a perfect book to read over a, a three-day weekend like uh, tonight, going into the holiday tomorrow. What would be better than sitting beside the pool tomorrow? reading the book of tonight's guest. It would be absolutely awesome. We just want to welcome you to the program. If you want to get involved in the program, 888-627-6008, and you will just call straight in to the BBS radio station and a wonderful human being, TJ, will be right there. He will answer the phone. He will patch you right through to our guest tonight and to me, and you'll be talking live to us while we talk to each other and being listened to completely around the world. If you also want to get on Shattered by the Darkest Facebook page, my awesome youngest son, Curtis, is in the United States Army and getting ready to get promoted to even a higher position. I'm so proud of him. And uh, he runs the uh, Facebook page. And if we have any comments or questions through there, he will pass those through to me. Uh, one more other way, if you want to just call me right here, not call me, but text me on my cell phone, 832-396-6525. Who else is goofy enough in the world to give you their private cell phone number? Well, you just have it, 832-396-6525. Text that to me, and uh, during the commercial break, I will scan through those and to see if you have a question or a comment, and I'll be glad to uh, present that. You know, I always like to start off the program each and every week, and I hope you liked last week. We pre-recorded that, um, the the power to be jewelry makers, uh, because of their, their busy schedule, and they're in Connecticut, and that was really a late night for them if they stayed up as late as this. Um, but they were just wonderful enough to pre-record that program with me, and I got a lot of great comments from that. And if you want to get one of those uh, bracelets or necklaces, 
absolutely wonderful. I don't get any of that. That all goes to them. Uh, it's their cause and uh, their purpose in life. But it's just wonderful, wonderful quality. Uh, I appreciate them being on the program last night or last week. We're going to have some wonderful guests coming up in the near future. So just keep on watching us every Sunday night. I really honestly believe that you, if you dedicate an hour of time with us, we're going to give you some type of valuable information, not just to give you butterflies in your stomach or give you goosebumps and go, oh, wow, but something that you can actually apply to your life to make your life just a little bit better. And we all can use that. And I think um, I always like to start the program off each week with just letting you know a little bit of something that I'm going through in life. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm going through right now. It's way too long and it'd take a five-hour program to do that. But just some things that I've learned this week that I think maybe you can jot down to see if you don't need to do the same thing. I want to let you know, I want to give you permission tonight to start taking care of yourself, even if other people around you go, hey, wait, what are you doing that for? Because you have to take care of yourself before you have the ability or the power or the strength or the mentality to be able to reach out to other people and love and care and help them. You have to make sure you are okay. So never apologize for taking that extra minute, extra hour, extra evening, extra day, extra weekend to just pamper yourself. Take a long bath. Take a long walk. Read a good book by yourself and turn the phone off, whatever it is. But take time to take care of yourself. Another thing I want you to remember, maybe try to do this week, do what you know is right for you. And I promise you that if you don't do what's right for you, there'll be other people waiting in line to have you do what's right for them without even thinking about your needs. So you need to take time to take a breath and do what's right for you. So don't let anyone else's ignorance, drama, or negativity stop you from being the best that you can possibly be. That is so important in this life. And don't you deserve that? Absolutely. We all deserve that. Sometimes we give and give and give and never stop and go, hey, wait, what do I need right now? So do what's best and what's right for you. Another one. Try it this week. Follow your own unique path. Looking across the field. Don't always jump in line where that path has already been trotted down so many different times. And it's just as hard as a rock and clear as a whistle. Every now and then we need to get off that beaten path and follow the unique path that only our maker gave us to do. And who knows when we get through those weeds ourselves, there's going to be a lot of people following us to see what we found out and what they can find out if they just are determined enough to take care of themselves and not always go with what other people want them to do in life. So pick that uniqueness. You are a masterpiece, a one of a kind. And in that uniqueness and absolutely perfection of being an individual, Follow your own path. Also, 
this week, focus on your own goals and how you can reach them. One of the things that I loved about the guest book tonight that I've read this afternoon, 300 and some pages, and I'm more like a speed reader, so boy, I had to really speed through. 300 and some pages is worth every penny of that book. I want to let you know, is her drive to reach her goals. And you're going to find out about those tonight, even through all those obstacles, all those hoops, all those things that could have been speed bumps and potholes and deters and pit stops in her way, even dead in roads. She was determined to keep reaching and striving for what she knew she was worth. Always, always keep reaching for your goals. Along the way, don't be afraid. And don't be so self-centered and negative that you don't take time to forgive those people that wronged you. Not basically for them, but for you. You owe that to yourself to drop that baggage tonight. I always get a lot of texts and emails about this after I say it. But when you take the time to forgive other people, you will feel the, the bondage of uh, inner emotional slavery will literally drop off and lay at your feet immediately. When I forgave my dad on his uh, hospital bed days before he passed away, after all the things that he did for me, I left that hospital room feeling 500 pounds lighter than what I did when I walked in. You can too. Did he deserve that forgiveness? I don't know. But I deserved to be in the position to forgive him so I didn't have to carry the guilt with me anymore. Fight the last time, the last thing. Fight through every failure that you ever experience in life. No matter what you go through, no matter what battle you are in, no matter how many times you slip and fall and trip and stumble and get everything dirty from your emotional being, your mental being, your your sexual being, your financial, everything that is just filthy, dirty, and you're down there in the dirt, pick yourself up, brush yourself off, and keep fighting through it. When you're feeling down and, and dealing with all those setbacks, don't be ashamed. Get up and keep on keeping on. You're worth it. You can do it. And I believe in you, and we're behind you cheering you on. And so many people give up just within inches of uh, opening, breaking forth into a path that's going to take them to their dreams and goals. You may be just that close of being that far away from what is coming to you that you have been waiting for all your life. Don't give up now. Hang in there and fight for it. You're worth it. That's just a few things I learned this week, and I hope you can take some of those to, to heart and uh, use them in your own personal life this week. It is my honest and uh, true honor and privilege tonight to welcome you to you, I believe, from the wonderful state of California. We'll find out where she's at. But the wonderful state of California, an author, Serena Maston, and she has a, she's a true driver. I'm just going to just read a little bit of her, her, 
story, but I'll let her tell you all about it. She has literally been an overcomer, self-limiting beliefs as she humbly climbed the ladder of success. She overcame some extreme obstacles personally and professionally. And folks, we might as well give you a warning right now. You're going to be triggered if you're easily triggered tonight. So beware. If that happens, take a deep breath. Feel free to put it on mute for a second. Um, take care of yourself. But we're going to talk raw tonight with what Serena went through. She started her life in witness protection in nine different foster homes, leading to teenage addiction, homelessness, and most recently walking through the devastation of her very own husband's suicide. She's faced unimaginable adversity, yet despite all those challenges, she found a real sense of purpose along the way, and she is the brand new author of a book that has just been released midnight last night or 1201 this morning when it came through my Kindle after I bought it. And the title of the book, and write it down, Exposed, You Can't Heal When You Hide. And it's my privilege to welcome to the program tonight, Serena Mastin. Serena, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored to be here. Well, it's our honor. And I want to tell you what, I read your book. First of all, I applaud you on your openness, your vulnerability, your transparency, your genuineness, your authenticity, and I can just keep on going. Uh, and even through all of that, it is so absolutely wonderful to see the smile that you have on your face tonight. Tell me about the book. And number one, why did you write it? And why did you come up with Exposed? You can't heal when you hide. Where did that come from? Well, I actually started writing it in an effort to embrace healing. I didn't, at that point, think that I was going to expose all of my most intimate details of my life with the world. But what I realized is that there was patterns in my life as I started to write through each story. And the, the biggest fear that I had in the past, and even currently I still struggle with it, is being exposed. And so that was why I chose Exposed as the title. But then the subtitle is also just as meaningful because as a little girl, I hid in the closet. Fast forward to when I was in my late 20s, when I was facing another devastation, I cried in the closet and I realized that you can't heal when you hide. And I kept hiding. And so this is my my uh, journey that I'm stepping out and facing my fears. And um, yeah, so that's where it came from. Serena, how long did it take you to write the book? You know, that, that's a good question. I started it three years ago, um, but I actually didn't dive into it until about a year and a half ago. Um, I also hired a book coach, which then held me accountable to actually finish it. Um, and it was excruciating at times because I didn't realize that when you're writing, you have to show what's happening versus telling 
And then when you're showing what's happening, it actually brings you back into that moment and your body almost re-experiences the trauma. And so there were times where I was writing about something that was, you know, my adrenaline was racing and I could feel that my heart rate, you know, was going up. And so it's, it was a very beautiful experience once I was able to close the chapter, (laughs) but it was, it was a challenging experience because I am so raw. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's what makes the book so good. At least that's the kind of books that I like to read. I don't, I don't want to just people skim over. I want to know how it felt, what you felt like, what was around you. How did you get through all of those? And it it almost put me in the scene with you. And you did that absolutely beautiful. So there's no way that you could write about those stories without feeling some of those scabs being ripped off that you thought was healed, but now can even heal even more. And I am an overachiever. So when I start healing, I even have like a healing checklist. I (laughs) go through the... The process, I'm doing yoga, meditation, exercise, and then I'm doing counseling, and then I'm doing all different types of therapy, and and none of that actually compared to the healing that I received from re-experiencing it and letting it go. You, You were so absolute in almost the dates but at least uh, the the time of the year and the years that when did you first look back and go, oh my gosh, I was this young when this happened to me? How did you go back in that calendar in your mind uh, when you start uh, doing a memoir like this? That's a great question. Before I started writing the book, I actually created a life timeline, and that is when I recognized my exact age or what year it was. And so that's how it all came together was I knew it was between certain periods when I would tell the story prior, but creating that life timeline actually put it like in perspective for exactly when it, when it occurred. So when was the first memory of uh, an abuse or a pain? The first memory I had was um, I was just under five years old. So I was about four years old. Wow. Um, it's the 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 opening to the book is is when I um I was playing in the trailer park and I I kind of run up the steps and the house that I lived in was always dark. It was a mobile home and there was candles all throughout the the mobile home because my biological father was the leader of a satanic cult. And so it was a very dark kind of gloomy um, environment. I was exposed to um, many, many things that I didn't even really share in the book, but there'd be times where I would come home and, you know, I put a a VHS in to watch a, a show or one of my favorite cartoons and it quickly shifted and the, the screen went blank and then it came back on again and it looked like a home video and it was a woman that was sitting in a bathtub naked and she was using a razor blade to cut her wrists and then she laid lifeless in the tub and i remember that was my first memory specifically because it was so clear 
it was clear as day. And I ran to go, you know, get my mom. And by the time I brought my mom drug her back to the living room, the video had turned off. And I was too little to actually articulate what I'd seen. But that yeah, was my four, at four years old. I, I did a thing the other day. I just, I have it sitting here. This is about the size of a shirt of a four-year-old. When you're four or five years old, can you imagine someone this little handling something that devastating, that impactful? So when you saw that and it entered in, what kind of um, emotion ran through you besides fear or confusion or or what? How did you block that out and even start to deal with it? You know, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because when you see it on TV, you're not sure if it's real or not, right? Like, so you you kind of separate yourself from reality. And a lot of the things that once I was taken away that I was diagnosed with as a child was depersonalization and dissociation and, and things like those that really I I had to just block it out because it was so traumatic. There were nights that I would go to climb into my bunk bed and people were in the bunk bed actually having sex that I'd never seen before. So they were strangers. Um, the house was filled with, um, you know, like there's constant drugs and alcohol. There was fights where my father would, you know, put a gun to my mom's, you know, head and threaten to kill her in front of us. Um, so there was, there was a lot of big, I would say monumental experiences for a child to experience. But I think the one that really resonated and pierced me the most was that my father took my virginity before the age of five. Um, because I didn't understand that it was wrong at that age. And then what that triggered in me from a very young age is to seek approval and to sacrifice myself in order to make others happy. And so that was the beginning of my life. Yeah. And when you, there's a line, I believe I have it done here. Um, you have all these letters that have been diagnosed uh, to you, DDD, ADHD, DCD, PTSD. And I think it probably could just keep on going. And you even talk yeah. about uh, the other ones that, that you mentioned now. At what age did that kind of diagnosis were even coming up? Was that more closer to eight or nine? Or when, when did that actually happen? Well, the, the diagnosis came up when um, once we were able to get out. So we couldn't leave the um, mobile home because my father, not only was he the leader of a cult, but he had people following us. He had tape recorders around the house. So he was constantly watching us. And um, the, the challenge is that my mom was not only in a state of uh, brainwash, but she was also in her own right in terror. So it was like, if I leave, will he kill us all? You know, or if I stay, am I protecting them more? Like she, you know, we didn't know. 
But immediately when we did get out of, of the cult and out of that environment, my mom had to earn her rights back as a parent. And we were immediately put into witness protection. And at that time, that was when they discovered that my virginity had been taken. At that time, that was when they started with the diagnosis, um, well, or the multiple <laughs> diagnosis, uh, because it was um, it was such an extreme situation. And I was too young to articulate what had happened. And so they had me going through um, multiple doctors and psychiatrists and counselors um, and different therapists to find out what was happening. Wow. You mentioned uh, on page 28 of your book, and the quote goes like this, in this monumental moment, I realized I was alone. What does that do to the the emotional uh, stability of a child when you realize you're really, in fact, on your own, alone? You know, I was, I was, I was a very unique child (laughs) to say the least. And it actually gave me this sense of unwavering determination. Like I had to fight to find my mom. I had to fight to, um, to be safe. And so what that triggered inside of me, which kind of unravels later on is that that became a pattern. And I started fighting a lot. Um, my first, um, the first time I ran away, I was six years old. And I was in a foster home that uh, we were only allowed to to leave the room three times a day. And that was for meals. Um, if we didn't want to eat the meal, for instance, if I, you know, being that little, I didn't want my vegetables. <laughs> so I remember that story. Uh, Yeah. So they had this hallway and there was two rooms down the hallway and a bathroom. And then they had an accordion door that they would latch so that we couldn't get out of the the hallway during the day. And one night they left the the latch unhooked and I was keen enough to hear it not click. (laughs) So... I packed my uh, grocery bag because I only had a grocery bag at the time um, with my naked Barbies and my blue jeans and my unicorn sweater. And I tiptoed and out of the foster home. And that was the first time I ran away. Is that the time that when they finally caught you, the police officer asked something about what do you want to go back and and he said, why? And you mentioned something about they make me eat my vegetables or something yes. like that. <laughs> I didn't know how to articulate at six years old that they were locking us in a hallway. I had no idea. And so I was demanding to the officer that um, I would not eat my vegetables and that I demanded to see my mother. And yeah, you could imagine how confused he was at that time. Yeah. Looking back, there was, you know, I was a kid. There was nothing that I could have, I couldn't have even understood what was happening, let alone describe it. And, and so that was the, that was the one stepping stone to many other really big mistakes that I made. With the different uh, foster homes, nine different ones? 
yeah. from the age of what to what? Um, so I was, um, I was taken away um, on my sixth birthday. And then by the time I was between nine and 10, um, that's when I finally was able to, my mom earned her rights back as a parent and I was able to see her again. So in three years, three uh, nine different homes? Yes. Were any of those homes hurtful? Um, if I, I would say that there was a, a more emotional damage, but not physical. And so, it's also because I don't remember because I blocked out a lot of the circumstances that were physical. So I couldn't really answer that question. Okay. Okay. It's um, about the brain is it does what it does to protect us. It, it does. But you know, the more you speak on this, Serena, and I appreciate you being one of the, the first times that you're talking about the book uh, with us tonight and letting the whole world know through us. I appreciate that. That I think the more that you open up to it, the more I think that protection wall will start, yeah. yeah, and it'll come back to you more and more. Um, I, I believe that at least it has. It worked that way with me, and a lot of people that I've, I've talked to uh, get experience a lot and more. And I also recognized that while I was writing. So while I was writing, you have to put yourself in that moment. You have to remember the hum of the the fan. You yeah. remember the smell. You so it literally through that process. Even if it doesn't bring it back in that moment, it starts to wake up the subconscious, and then you start to re um, ignite memories that you might not have even remembered before. Yeah. We're going to take our only break tonight, uh, 888-627-6008, if you want to talk to Serena and ask her questions about how she made it through. But on the other side of this break, I really want to get into uh, some of the quotes that you have in the book. But I want to hear the rest of the story because it only gets uh, more and more in your teenage years, in your 20s, and, and as we go on through this. So I want to make sure we have a full opportunity to uh, drill down as deep as we can to get to the story of where you are and the success you are as of today. 888-627-6008. And we'll be right back after this very, very short commercial break, about a minute and eight seconds. We'll see you right back. From HCI Publishing, that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams.
Welcome back. We have Serena with us this evening, and she has written an awesome book that you can get right now and literally download it uh, immediately uh, off Amazon. And that book title is called Exposed. You can't heal when you hide. And I love this program on the on the Facebook page. Uh, Jay Abram, and I won't tell you his last name, is watching you, Serena, tonight all the way from Liberia. I don't even wow. know what Liberia is, but he just wanted to let you know that you're doing an awesome job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love how the technology works. I have no idea how BBS gets it all the way around the world like that. But when I hear those kind of stories and we see those kind of uh, results, it's just like, uh, hey, I have to I have to applaud uh, technology because yes. anyway, they're, they're letting you know you're doing awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so here you are. Um uh, Getting out of the uh, the children's homes, the foster homes, and you're connecting back with your mom. Take me a little further down down into the teenage years and things of that order. You know, so I what I what I learned about myself through some of the court documents, not until just a few years ago, mm-hmm. is a lot of the behaviors that I exhibited at a young age were, um, you know implying sexual behavior towards men because that's what I was exposed to at such a young age. And so in inappropriate situations, even as a nine-year-old, I would, you know, come across flirtatious or um, overstep a boundary because that was what I hadn't been untaught to do that. And so a lot of my um, identity was around pleasing or earning or sacrificing myself for someone else. And it was also a part of me that was really angry and I couldn't really articulate the anger, but um, I would act out. I would do things that were um, odd or (laughs) inappropriate. And a lot of people did not know how to handle me. So the one person that did was my mom. And so the being reunited with her and being able to um, be in the arms of someone who nurtures you and loves you unconditionally, despite of all of these challenges, was amazing. However, my mother was living with my grandmother at the time, and my grandmother wasn't as patient. (laughs) And so I could imagine being in her shoes now. And, and there's so many things that I have compassion for her because I couldn't imagine dealing with a child that was that out of control. But there is one specific circumstance that um, she was angry, um, likely because I had lied because, you know, and or, or smarted off and, and then lied about it. <laughs> and um, I, I kind of ran into my room and she picked me up by my neck and pushed me against the the wall and just said, I wish you were never born. And I remember that moment, not to vilify my grandmother, that's not the intent, but it was, it was so like clear in that moment that I was not wanted. And that feeling of being unwanted and unlovable, I carried throughout the majority of my life. And so um, by the time it was actually my 16th birthday, oddly enough, I was taken away at six 
And then on my 16th birthday, um, I ran away and I told my mom I wasn't coming back. And my mom had a sense of grace and understanding that she knew that she couldn't make me come back. And so Mm -hmm. she almost kind of stepped back and allowed me to take this journey because I had already made the decision to do so. And that decision definitely impacted the course of my life to leave because I found myself, I did enroll myself in high school, which (laughs) who does that when they're homeless? But I I was determined to prove all the statistics wrong, that I was not going to fail. And so I would um, sometimes sleep in abandoned houses, um, in, you know, a shed in the backyard or um, on a park bench. And then I would sneak into the school before they opened and I would use the locker room to shower and get ready. And this is also the time in my life when I was introduced to methamphetamines and um, I was taking the bus to three different jobs. And so I was going to school in the morning, taking the bus to three different jobs and then abusing, um, you know, methamphetamines, which led to a problem with addiction on top of that. Um, And so it was it was a path that then led me to even more dangerous situations. Um, I was, I was actually raped twice. I only talk about one of the instances in the book. Um, one was by a 40 year old man when I was 16. Um, and the other that I do describe in the book was, um, a 19 year old. And so, yeah. Was the, was the drug use going into the meth? Was that too numb? Uh, what was going on in your life? Because I think you have a quote there that you mentioned it too, that there are perhaps no more painful thoughts than that of hearing, nobody wants me. Was it to offset that pain? Well, the yeah. there was a, a tie to many things. I struggled with an eating disorder since, you know, I was younger. I stuttered, I, I, I struggled with um, being included because I, had a unique style. And then on top of that, I had this wild determination to somehow graduate high school while living on the streets. And so I believed that it was my um, my way of surviving, but it was also my way of hiding who, you know, because I was trying to transform who I was. And it was just a, there was a numbing portion but it was also, in some weird sense, my way of surviving. Yeah. So you made it through high school? I did. I did okay. graduate from high school, not without, um, you know, collapsing because of the lack of sleep and the lack of eating for a long period of time. My mom nursed me back to, to health and I was able to finish out my and get my diploma. Fantastic. There's a... Um... In chapter 11, you have this quote that I, uh, that I, one of those that I underlined immediately. I felt like I was living in a glass house. Everyone around me could see my life shattering through the clear glass windows. And I felt empty, hollow, and disconnected. How long did it take you to get through that hollowness 
that emptiness, that disconnection, because you go through several relationships, do you not? Yes. Uh, good, bad, and different. Yeah. How did you get through all of that? Well, for a long time, I believed that my worth was based on what I could give. And I felt like if I can be this, if I can give this, if I can do this, they'll love me more. Mm. And when I recognized that, or when I became a mother, it, it shifted my mindset from giving to others or giving to men and really focused on protecting my children. And when I was exposed in that moment, when someone confronted me about, they thought that I wasn't protecting my son is what they, they said, basically. I, that's when I realized is that everyone is watching. Everyone can see me, even though I think I'm pretending, I'm pretending to be strong. I'm pretending, you know, to be wise. I'm pretending to be healed. But the reality was, is that I, everyone's looking into this glass house and they can see right through me. When did that reality come? Was it why you was at that moment or as you started researching your own life and timeline in it and writing about it? Because we can convince ourselves that we're really A-OK when we're living it. But then when you go back and read it or write it, you go, wait, I was just fooling myself. Everybody else could see right through what I was doing. When did you come to that realization that, hey, uh, I'm not pulling this off as well as I thought I was? When she confronted me, so it was in that moment. Because I thought I was pulling it off. And when she confronted me, it was like a blindfold came off. Because I was, I could no longer get away with pretending everything was okay. Yeah. When it wasn't okay. And that's also what brought me to that place of leaving my first husband is that at this point, I'd realized that now everyone could see what was happening and I wasn't willing to number one, allow it to happen. But number two, allow people to think that I wasn't doing anything about it. I don't know if you address this in the book and I apologize if you do. Do you battle with perfectionism? I did for a very long time. Now I embrace all of my messiness, obviously. <laughs> okay. But for a long time, I was constantly trying to be whatever I thought anyone wanted me to be. Yeah. In every way so that they would never associate me with what I'd been through. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly how I made it through school. I was the one that you know, never was late, always turned in assignments early, tried to get straight A's because if I didn't, somebody may notice that something's wrong with me. Yeah. It's so also how long... part of seeking approval. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I had to learn that I don't need anyone else's approval to be who I am. Explain that to somebody that could be listening to the program tonight of the importance of understanding that step that you give a beautiful three-step 
uh, program at the, towards the end of the book. I believe it's in the, in the epilogue, I'll be honest with you, the very tail end of the book, um, of how important it is to, to be real, of taking that mask off. Well, I have most of my life forgiven everyone else. Oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I can tell. And that was a part of people pleasing and being a perfectionist is that if I forgave them, then they would know that I'm, you know, I'm doing so well and that I'm healing. But what I struggled with was forgiving myself. And there was one um, situation. I don't even think I wrote about this in the book, but this is what helped me is I was in a workshop and they asked me to look in a mirror and they, they said, what I want you to do is I want you to, to look in the mirror straight into your eyes. And I want you to see that five-year-old little girl. And then I want you to tell her all the things that you tell yourself every day. Uh, I'm not enough. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm not qualified. Um, you know, I'll never be whatever it is. And so, so I, I ruthlessly said these things out loud and I was in tears because I would never talk to a child like that. But I had been telling myself those things for so many years that I had to teach myself how to record over those thoughts and start telling myself the true value and the true worth that I have. There's another piece to that, though, is once you forgive yourself, there's still the patterns that you have to undo. And I have the tendency to easily just fall back into people pleasing. <laughs> it's like, or over sacrificing. And once I realized that I was sacrificing so much that I lost my sense of self, I had lost my sense of, of even my health had been impacted. I knew that I couldn't keep giving if I was in a place where I was empty. And because my heart is all about pouring into other people, I knew that I had to pour into myself first. And so I started practicing that. And then over time, I was able to let go of who I thought that people wanted me to be and accept who I was. So you, you took to heart what I mentioned at the very beginning, that you have to take time to, to pamper yourself and don't feel guilty of that. Yeah, and it's more than pampering. It is, if your mind is clear and your body is healthy and you are writing down your thoughts or like going to yoga, practicing meditation, listening to books, putting yourself outside of your comfort zone to be in a sense of community other than isolating yourself. Those are all little things of self-care. Pampering is almost seems like a luxury to someone like right. me, right? Um, whereas when I looked at it from a perspective of wellness, then I could embrace it more. Yeah, pampering yeah, I see what you're saying. Because I would feel guilty if I pampered myself, right? But I don't feel guilty practicing something that is meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to hold up your book because I want everybody to see how beautiful this book is and how wonderfully thick it is. Uh, <laughs> yes. People know before uh, we get the, 
the countdown of, hey, we only got a minute. Uh, tell the people and the listeners, how can they get a hold of this? The best way to get a hold of this, and if they want to reach you uh, or your webpage, what's the best way to connect with Serena tonight? So you can actually order it directly on my website, and that's serenamastin.com. And that would be a personal signed copy from me. And it also has my contact information on the website as well. I get those emails directly. Um, And then if they'd like to order on Amazon, they can put in uh, my actual name, Serena Mastin, and that will be the first thing that pops up. Because I got nothing else on there. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling uh, after reading it, uh, you have another book in you, at least one more. There's no doubt. Oh, yeah. You did leave uh, some skeletons in the closet, did you not? I did. Yeah. But and, I, I also you know, felt like I... Or was that self-protection? I, well, I think there was a few things. It was also that the book was getting really long. And I was like, I probably got to end this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other part of it was, I know that there's more to write about. And my intention originally, before it became a memoir, was to write about personal healing and development. And I felt like I needed to do the memoir first. And then the the next version or the next book will come out when I talk about more of the healing portion and some of the other experiences. Like what works for you? This is how to do it yourself. If you need to get yes. your depression, yeah, that would be excellent. I would be the first in line for that book. Also, that would be that'd be awesome. Thank you. There is um, one other quote I want to use. We only have like a minute or two. I knew this hour would fly by quick. It takes true strength to be vulnerable. It takes real courage to expose. The truth in that with that quote and all the way as I was circling quotes throughout your book, what kind of issues do you deal with in relationships and trust? So I would say I've been in a place where I had to learn how to love again. I had to learn how to love myself enough and to trust myself enough. My trust issues were not about trusting others. It was trusting my own decision-making because of the situations that I had been in. And so you, when you open yourself up to be completely vulnerable with someone, you're giving them the key to do whatever they want with your life. And so I had to take the next step and recognize that I'm going to still open my heart up and I'm going to still, you know, have the courage to, to expose my life because no matter what, if somebody comes in and hurts me again, it's not about me because I've already overcome these things. I'm a lot more clear on what to look for. And I'm a lot more like, I would say, insightful on on just the boundaries that I've set and how to hold them so my trust issues were originally with myself but I've also allowed that to you know to be okay beautiful in the last last minute that we have uh, 
what what are you hoping now that this book let's and everybody's listening to me like like right now let's get this to amazon number one uh in the next couple of days we can do that we've done that before on this program we can do it again with this book get it up there to where tomorrow morning when you wake up serena it's it's number one on amazon um but what are you hoping as we close out tonight the impact that this book is going to make on people what are you hoping that it does you see, when when we hide ourselves, whether we're hiding behind a mask or whether we're hiding behind somebody else, or when we just keep things suppressed, what we're doing is we're allowing ourselves to deteriorate. And my hope is that I can give someone the courage to step out into the light and share their story or understand that I've been there and empower them to just start healing and start step out of that darkness and step into the light and know that there are people like them that have been through it. And do that right now, right? Don't wait another Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Karina, I tell you what, you're I, I know you're a marketing pro and uh you have your business and things that you're doing, but I got a feeling that you're gonna be on stage all around the country, around the world telling the story and uh, being interviewed time and time again with people and letting people know. And this is just the beginning of something very, very uh, huge for you. And I appreciate you sharing it with us and our listeners tonight on the program. Thank you for having me. I am honored. It is our honor. Serena Masson is M-A-S-T-I-N. And the book is Exposed. You Can't Heal When You Hide. Buy it tonight. Make sure you do get right there on her website and she will sign. And I bet your penmanship's awesome. She will sign a book and send it off to you right away. So make sure you do that. Serena, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Tell you what I'd like to do, like to do every each and every week is during this time. And I know we have a lot of people tonight that are saying, how, how can I get through this? What do I need to do? First of all, take Serena's advice tonight and make a step towards healing. Don't put it off another day. Don't say, well, when I get back to work on Tuesday after the holiday, I'll begin. No. When you shut your computer down tonight after this program, start right now. And maybe that's reaching out to Serena, uh, uh, an email to her, or reaching out to me with a text to me or a phone call. Whatever it is, take that step now. Because I, I, I want to just let you know, out of her life, her story, just a little bit of what we – uh, talked about in those 300 and some pages of an awesome book. She let us know, like I let you know each and every week, there's always hope. No matter what situation you find yourself in, there's always, always hope. Never forget that. Join us right here next week for another live edition from Houston, Texas of Breaking the silence. God bless you. Have an awesome Memorial Day. Be safe, but most of all, take care of yourself in a special way, because I know you're worth it. God bless. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, Dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness 
at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.